Hi UK scriptwriters. Well, it's me, Jan Caston, and guess what? Tim and Danny have got me working again on my holiday. I'm currently on a Caribbean cruise. It's Sunday the 30th of December, and we're having a day at sea. We're sailing from Trinidad to Colombia. Are you envious yet? Anyway, let's put it this way. Tim and Danny always ask me to be on the lookout for interesting people to speak to for the UK Scriptwriters podcast. And my delight was in finding that one of my fellow passengers is a man who knows an awful lot about BBC Light Entertainment. Let me introduce you to Martin Fisher. Hello, Martin. Hello there. Good morning. And as we talk, we can reveal why he knows so much about light entertainment, comedy, comedians, and basically just being the man behind the scenes that watched it all going on. Martin, um, I think you joined the BBC in 1959. I did, yes. Um, when I was at school, I had a love of drama and I used to enjoy acting and uh, I thought probably I'm not good enough to be an actor and I don't really have the kind of talent. So um, uh, I thought, um, why not take up a suggestion uh, of my, one of my aunts whose neighbour worked in, in the BBC in the Portuguese section at Bush House. And um, eventually, after two or three attempts, I got, I got into the BBC as what were known as, and still are today, as studio managers. They're the ones who control the microphones and they sit on the other side of the glass from the performer. And uh, that involves sometimes a news bulletin with just one mic to a symphony orchestra with 10 mics to a dance band with 20 mics. And um, while I was there, I um, found that uh, there was an opportunity to be loaned from the central part of the studio manager department to specialist departments which were in radio at that time and still are, drama, talks, documentaries and so on and so forth. And one of them was called the variety department in those days because remember we're going back to the 50s, um, that's what it was called and it gradually evolved into the light entertainment department and I was loaned to them and I thought I rather like the people who I'm working with here and so um, I stayed in that department in studio management until I eventually got a production job um, initially not in light entertainment but in the bush house where um, my aunt's friend had worked um, doing what were known as record requests so you were playing records to listeners all around the world we were doing about 10 programs a week because obviously it's a 24-hour operation a place called bush house which no longer sadly exists in the old witch in london and um, I stayed there for three years. Um, and so then... you, were you a hip kid? <laughs> were you into all the latest music? And well, yeah, yeah. So you knew what you, you had your finger on the yeah. pulse of the times. Well, yes, and lis uh, listeners used to in those days send an airmail, a flimsy airmail letter, to the department, and we got lots and lots of them, uh, principally from 
Africa. Um, and uh, their great favourite was Jim Reeves. Um, oh, Lord! Distant drums. No, you know, most, me, most people nowadays would not know no, the name no, Jim Reeves no, at all, would no, they? No, exactly. Yeah. But, but obviously it was giving you a grounding in how light entertainment worked yeah, and yeah. what the public wanted. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And then, um, again, because of my connections with uh, light entertainment when I was uh, a studio manager, um, I found an opportunity to move back into uh, network broadcasting, national broadcasting in Britain. And um, I got a job in the light entertainment department. Lovely department because you not only um, did comedy programs, uh, and some of them were scripted situation comedies. Such as what programs were you working on? Can you remember? Well, yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, I mean, these are the early days when you yeah. were presumably in a junior role. Yeah, Navy Lark um, and... Uh, Oh, left hand down a bit. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> Leslie Phillips. Leslie Phillips saying Leslie. Yes, yeah, I remember. That's right. Then, then we had Round the Horn, of course, which was brilliant. You know, Kenneth Williams and Hugh Paddock and uh, uh, Kenneth Horn, of course. Um, and I worked um, on those and alongside, you know, seasoned performers like that and legends from the past. And so these were established shows. Yeah, yeah. That you came in to work on. Yeah. And really. Learn your yeah. your trade. Yeah, I mean, uh, I when I was a studio manager, I worked on the Billy Cotton Band show. Um, really? In those days, I mean, would you believe when you look at today's list of viewing figures, which I saw uh, just recently, there were only six million. I think the Queen was the most popular broadcast in my day. Um, Billy Cotton used to get twenty million, and that was at one o'clock um, after lunch on a Sunday. On a Sunday. This was when households used to have the radio yeah, on yeah, all yeah. morning. That's right. They would have, I think it was forces favourites, family yeah. favourites. Oh, yes, yes, two-way family favourites. Two-way yeah. two family yes, favourites. Yes. Then there would be the Billy How's Cotton the and then the, then the comedy show, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, that, that's right. How's the weather in Cologne, Jean? Do you remember Jean Metcalf? No, well, I, well, sadly, <laughs> yeah. I, no, sadly I don't. You're but I have, yeah. I have actually heard, <laughs> mm. um, yeah, anybody who... Is interested in how things have developed mm. and what change, what changes there are, and in many ways there are not that many changes in the scripted shows. No. It's just the content that's different. Yeah. It's not the way it's delivered. That's right. It's not that much different. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how much did you get involved in the technical side, and how much did you get involved in like script writing and? Well, technical side, um, microphones. I learnt a lot about that, obviously. You know, which I explained as a studio manager. Um, I gradually, um, when I was in light entertainment, uh, fun enough, um, you've interviewed John Lloyd, um, you told me. And, uh, yeah, in February, great pleasure. He was a great rising star, um, and uh, suddenly he was snatched from our department to go to television. And there was a vacancy for the job that he was doing in radio as a script editor. And uh, I applied for that job, and suddenly I found... I got it, and uh, the, the job meant reading thousands, well not thousands, probably hundreds of scripts um, over a year, um, which actually sadly put me off reading for pleasure for, <laughs> for many years uh, um, afterwards. Um, it's and, like most script writers yeah, don't even like reading the yeah, newspaper, do yeah, they, nowadays? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I felt a responsibility because... Um, uh, it, Script writers need some kind of encouragement without just being rejected out of hand. So one always wrote a polite letter and tried to explain why 
the material maybe that they'd sent was not as uh, acceptable and uh, you know j just to give them a little encouragement um, but we we were lucky in those days on radio 4 of having a topical program called week ending which went out late at night on radio 4 which um, looked at the current affairs events and gave them a satirical slant um, I, uh, this was a great springboard for writers in those days like David Renwick, uh, Douglas Adams um, who um, were able to get two or three minutes commissioned on the air and uh, you know that gave them encouragement to go further and many of them did, Guy Jenkin you probably heard of, yes, yes, of Andrew course. Marshall, um, they all started that way, many of them came from Cambridge or Oxford um, and they'd, uh, there was a great kind of uh, throughput from the universities because uh, Way back before me, there was a producer who had connections with Oxbridge, and uh, you know he sort of funneled them often through. And so it's not, you know, sometimes how good you are, but who you know, isn't it? You know, in this well, it would appear to be. But comedians uh, and comic writers um, mm. do tend to have to have a very wide knowledge, mm. and they have to have a very sharp eye mm. on what is funny yeah. in very serious yeah. situations mm. and that's what makes comedy I think in some yeah. ways so pertinent yes. um, it, mm. it lifts the load of mm. the seriousness yeah. you must have been writing reading scripts and some of them must have been very very heavy I mean yeah. how do you determine what's comedy and how, and what is a you know more drama I, I, the yeah. genre, how do you, as a script editor or as a script reader, yeah. how do you think, well, this is not sitting comfortably in this area, but it could sit comfortably in another area? Yeah. I mean, one had an instinct after I had more and more experience of reading scripts about that, and uh, often just one out of 50 might have a glint of something, you know, and you try and encourage that person to send in more material, um, not necessarily to be paid initially, and uh, uh, but if they could get a two-minute commission on radio, um, it sort of gave them that springboard to go much further. To know that they were writing yeah. professionally, because I mean, because it was always such, yeah. it was the well it still is yeah. really everybody aims every UK scriptwriter yeah. aims to write for the BBC yeah, at yeah. some point in their career yeah. it looks great on yeah. your CV yeah yeah it does yeah. Mm. but um, our department um, which was kind of a corridor with offices in the days before hot desks and all that we had individual offices but at the end of the corridor was called the writer's room and we used to invite writers in um, who had shown promise to write for the program I was saying just now week ending um, and uh, they sort of competed with each other informally you know and uh, and it was you know a lot of uh, rather scruffy looking individuals who used to <laughs> shamble into, <laughs> into the writers' room. They probably didn't have two hateness to rub together. If they were at the beginning, they yeah. probably were really, really broke. Yeah, that's right, they, they certainly were. Mm. But, um, you know, um, and you could go in and say, um, uh, you know, could, 
and they used to collaborate with each other, and that was another thing. So you form partnerships. I mean, Andrew Marshall and David Renwick. One, Andrew Marshall for television wrote Two Point Four Children. You may, may yes, may yes, I remember. That. Yeah. And then of course David Renwick, the David Renwick, Renwick the you know. David yeah, Renwick. They used to work together. You know. No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, that I didn't yeah. realise. So sort of temporary, like a marriage. You know, and then they go their separate ways. And so uh, you, you must have seen other comedy partnerships come together. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other ones. Um, you did mention to me um, along the line that you'd worked with Griffiths Jones. Yes, yes, yeah. He's, he came in uh, f- again from Cambridge, I think it was. Yes, he's Cambridge. Um, uh, no, no, no t- well, he was Oxford, wasn't he? I don't know. Sorry, sorry Griffiths Jones, if you're listening to this, <laughs> because he has just acted for us in Future TX, which is due out in 2019. Oh, Little right. hint, hint. Yeah. So I don't want to offend him. <laughs> he yeah. was absolutely wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah mm. very nice chap. Um, and he started off as a producer. Um, uh, he didn't do much writing. Um, I think he, uh, when he went to television with the Smith and Jones series, uh, probably he did a bit, bit of that. But uh, he was kind of snatched from us as a, uh, to become an actor, you know, and worked on was it with the National Theatre at one time? Well, he has you know? that. He yeah. has that yeah. sonorous voice. Yes, he does. I mean, his voice is so recognisable, mm. mm. um, which again is something that. It's talent spotting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is, it is, that's right, yeah, yes. Mm. But so many of these names, like John Lloyd and Griffiths Jones, uh, you know, went to, to television. In- inevitably, you know, they were snatched from radio. We'd sometimes nurtured them, and then, you know, they went on to greater success. I think that's still very much pertinent yeah. today, mm. because you think of um, Miranda Hart. Yes. She, her programme started on, on radio, radio and right. then was transferred into a comedy show. Yeah. And look at the great success she's had mm. with that yeah. so um, radio is something that is still mm. something to very much look at for yeah. you but yeah. of course you didn't spend all your career in radio you went over to television too well I know I know um, unexpected really um, there came a point in uh, my later career uh, you know because after being a script editor in radio I then uh, became head of the radio light entertainment. I do, I do apologise. I'd forgotten <laughs> to say how important you actually became. <laughs> Much to my surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I don't think no, so. No, no. <laughs> but but then you were poached for, for television. Yeah, I was poached for television. Um, again, uh, there's a co- they called it comedy, not light entertainment. Uh, there was the entertainment group huge group which was run by a chap called Jim Moyer you may have heard his name head of doesn't ring a bell but but I'm sure anybody wanting to to research this is going to Bill Cotton Jr and you know those kind of people ran it you know and you've got the huge generation games and variety type shows the the, the actual big big ones that were that they're they're, they're trying to emulate today but they can never quite achieve no no, that's right I mean the viewing figures were enormous yes colossal yeah but um, where were we Um, yes uh, and so Gareth Gwenlin who was a a well known television producer was also head of comedy so he used to he did uh, one at at the Only Fools and Horses and uh, he decided he wanted to go back to production and suddenly there was a hole I think in the comedy department which um, produced largely um, situation comedies and a few sketch shows as well Mm. Um, and uh, there was this vacancy and I was asked would I be interested in coming across 
initially as a script editor um, and uh, I took up the opportunity because I thought it will increase my salary and my pension. <laughs> <laughs> Money is always in yeah, the back of everybody's yeah, mind yeah, in course, this entertainment course, industry, uh, isn't it? Of yeah. course, yeah. Mm. And uh, so I went across and uh, I formed a kind of mini script unit um, and uh, uh, I was pleased to note that of the four people, I think we had four in the department who read scripts as I had done in radio and we used to have little meetings and decide what was worth, again, you know, keeping and what was worth, uh, not, mm. worth not, not worth keeping. And um, I am uh, 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 pleased to note that Stephen McCrum was one who's now produced uh, uh, Mrs. Brown's, what's it? Mrs. Brown's Boys, Boys yeah. and all the Christmas shows. Yeah. The, I, I presume he's on the new Mrs. Brown as well. I mean, that's been a real finding, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. yeah, that's right. And then there was another one, uh, a, a lady called Anne Pivjevic who became a, a kind of freelance producer and she's had her name on a few notable drama series whose name escapes me at the moment. And then I had another one, again, he was uh, another interesting East European name, he was called Justin Zabrezny, and uh, he has written, uh, he wrote uh, a couple of series, uh, six situation co comedies, um, uh, which have got on the air, so I was pleased to be able to spawn another generation behind me who went on to you know further success because it's a very difficult industry to get into and and you know to make a name for yourself so. it's also a difficult industry to continue in mm, mm. you only need one flop and yeah. everything you've worked yeah, for yeah. can can really be in jeopardy yeah, yeah. where you need to you need to build up and build up and build up and that's where mentors and people you meet yes, people yeah. you talk to so important. people who tell you their their life stories mm, yeah, so right. that you can avoid them if it's all possible yeah, that's right are yeah. so important yeah. aren't they what i find rather sad today is the department that i I was in charge of for three years before I retired was the um, uh, we had a huge amount of situation comedy half-hour sitcoms you know um, but for, such as can you name a few um, 2.4 children one one foot in the grave um, only fools and horses obviously uh, last of the summer wine. Did and you do as time goes by? Yeah. Well, funny enough, I had a connection with that, but that's another story. All right. Okay. Yeah, we'll leave I, that for I, another yeah, time. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> we'll stick it in this, shall we? No. It, in fact, I, 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 I used to go in and watch Judy Dench and Jeffrey Palmer rehearsing in our rehearsal rooms. You know, because um, the six-day turnover of a sitcom. You know, you start on a Monday, rehearse it in a rehearsal room, and then take it on set at the end of the week and then do it in front of an audience um, and uh, by chance at the end of my career uh, formal career in the BBC I did a bit of freelance work and I did two uh, radio at series adaptations of As Time Goes By with the original cast for Radio 2 really? so yeah yes uh, Lovely to work with a real professional like Judy Dench. I mean, such so easy to work with, you know, such a talent too. Are you another, another of the gentlemen who are slightly in love with her? Uh, well, I would say, I, yeah, I mean, she was so easy and you, instant rapport, you know, when, when you were sitting down after the recording and 
getting coffee or sandwiches or other, she'd, she'd serve it to all the cast, you know, no matter who you were, you know, she was that kind of person. It's yeah. a true professional yeah, again, it isn't is. it? It's a true, true, I mean, who, who knows their worth and <clears throat> doesn't push it on everybody yeah. else. Yeah. 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 Ego is sometimes very difficult to handle. Yeah. How did you handle people like um, Kenneth Williams? And did, did you have some real sort of good old difficult periods no, as well as everything no, else? Funny enough, uh, I... I Never actually worked with Kenneth Williams. I, oh, I did. I, I did as a studio manager, you know, uh, mm. on the on the control controls. Uh, in the, we used to do it in the Playhouse Theatre in Charing Cross. Um, but um, slightly difficult. There were very few. I mean, thing about radio is uh, you can record something very quickly. You know, you can do a half hour if you're doing a light drama or a comedy program. Uh, you can do it in the day, can't you? So there's were no these, time. Were these programmes going out live? Or were they sort of live? No, most of, most of them were pre-recorded. So you, so you did have the editing yeah, facility? You, yeah, that's right. But I worked, um, because I said light entertainment, did light drama as well. And we were kind of... We used to upset the formal drama, drama department because we used to poach a lot of stuff and do it, for, you know, and usually better than the drama department. <laughs> well, that's what we thought, anyhow. Um, and I worked with Ian Carmichael um, on the Lord Peter Whimsey series. Remember Dorothy L says... I uh, do, I do, I do yeah. remember being... Yeah. Well, Ian Carmichael is possibly to a <clears throat> current generation yeah. of people coming up. You wouldn't know about him, but mm. as an actor, you really do need to go back yeah. and look at, at the skill of some of these yes. actors. Yeah. And yeah. the other thing he had was he had, he, like David Niven, he had a persona that he could bring to the character. That's right. But he also had the voice. Yes, he did. Yeah, exactly. He had the looks, yeah. but the looks, yeah. the looks actually did fade. And, and to, but he had that voice yeah. for the yeah. whole of his life. And you had to recognise that he had a. He was a big film star in the fifties when they were there. You know with the, the Bolting brothers, I'm All Right, Jack, and all those. And, uh, well, he was so, the heartthrob of yeah, his day, yeah. wasn't I he? I mean, he wasn't easy to work with because I think he'd become so accustomed to being a star, in inverted commas. Uh, but um, I, we had a photo opportunity. I remember we were doing one of the uh, Dorothy L. Sayers adaptations, and uh, she... His co-star was Sarah Bedell. I don't know if you've heard of her. She, her father was Alan Bedell, who was an actor in the 50s. And uh, we were having a photo opportunity for, for Radio Times, and we ordered a photographer. I mean, so again, it's only radio, this. And uh, he was standing on the left, and she was on the right. Before the photographer took the shot, he said, do you mind? And he grabbed Sarah, Sarah Bedell by the shoulder and moved her to the other side to favour his profile. <laughs> this so was so only these, these stories that you yeah, read, yes. they actually are true. Yeah, yeah, yes. well, that one was, yeah. <laughs> I, I witnessed it. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Martin, there is one thing you've told me that you worked on that I mm. thought, I am so envious. You worked on the final Goon show. I did, yes. Um, uh, we had a reunion of the famous Goon show um, in the 70s, I think it was, was it 74, 75? And we, they hired a, uh, the Camden Theatre, in which uh, had ceased to exist as a BBC property by then, but we just hired it because it used to do a lot of shows in the 40s and the 50s. 
And they got like Spike Milligan, uh, Peter Sellers, and Harry Seacombe, and Ray Ellington, who used to do the music, and they all yes. came back for it. And Max Geldray, who used to play the harmonica. And uh, we did a one-off show, um, which uh, I was the assistant producer on, because the, the, the actual producer had done the goon shows in the 50s, so they brought, uh, he, he was still in the He BBC. obviously would work with yeah, them particularly yeah, he, well as well. He right. would know all the yeah, yeah. the nuances and, yeah. he, yes, yes. Yeah. So I was just the assistant producer on it, but it was wonderful to witness a kind of small part of radio history, you know, because Princess Margaret came and, uh, and I remember um, we had a kind of bar upstairs because it's an old variety theatre of Camden. And... Um, she, we only had beer available, and uh, someone said, uh, Your Highness, what would you like to drink? And she said, I'd like a gin and tonic. Consternation, because there wasn't any. So a poor chap had to slip out of the theatre and go to the pub next door <laughs> and bring back a gin bottle in a brown paper bag <laughs> before they could serve it up. <laughs> um, did that take a long time to lay down? Was that? I think it did, because I think... Um, you, you wanted perfection on that uh, one, presumably. Milligan, I think, was going through one of his, uh, his unwell down, phases, his down phases, and um, he sort of locked himself away because he was the kind of uh, scriptwriter for it. And uh, I think they had a bit of trouble bringing it to birth, yeah, yeah, because he used to do, you know, I mean, he used to pull the telephone cables out of the office, you know, so that no one could communicate with him while he was writing it. So uh, that that was. Uh, so writers do, when yeah. they have a reputation of being precious, can sometimes be very precious. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, well, they always say, don't be precious about your work. Yeah. yeah. But I suppose being precious about your time <clears> is <throat> is something you're allowed to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but um, talking of comedians, um, I've worked with not not very many, but I was lucky enough to work with Arthur Askey. Um, well, in, of course, that's yeah, that is the huge the, name you, of the thirties, forties, isn't it? That's right. And we were doing a. You must have seen him at the end of his career. Yeah, yes, yeah. it was. Yeah, yeah. it was. A, he was a. We did a, a Radio Two pantomime, which went out on Christmas Day on Radio Two, mm. and. Uh, I was able to cast, you know, some, some good names in it, and uh, we were lucky enough to get him to play the dame. And, uh, Again, another voice that mm. once heard you never forget. Yeah, yeah. And he was very easy to work with because, as you say, uh, he was getting on in years, and we said to him, you know, do you want to change any of the script? And he said, I will do it as writ, he said. And, <laughs> and that's what he did, you know. Because I think, uh, it, was he a Lancashire man? I uh, think He it, was Liverpool. Liverpool oh, was he Liverpool? Oh, Liverpool, I, you know, I didn't yeah. realise that. Yeah. In the day, Liverpool isn't in Lancashire, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, listeners. I, I am on a boat between Trinidad and Colombia. <laughs> so. But, um, you know, he had his... Uh, that's what I loved about the old-time comedians. You know, they had their kind of catchphrases. Nowadays, com comedians don't have them anymore, you know. And... Uh, uh, like, I think so, just some, no, surely some. Mind you, they yeah they they they, I mean, they have a, they have a persona nowadays. They yeah. don't necessarily have yeah. the thing that it's the audience used to yeah. fall about laughing um, at, do they? I mean, they uh, uh, the old time comedians were brought up in music hall, haven't they? Variety and all yes. that. I worked with Frank Carson, and he, his his catchphrase was "It's the way I tell them," because he was a Northern Northern Ireland. I mean, yeah. that's right. And I, when I first joined the BBC as a studio manager or assistant studio manager, um, 
there was a programme series that used to go out on Radio 4, I think it was, called uh, Midday Musical, so obviously it went out midday. Mm. And uh, seeing Frankie Howard for the first time, and uh, I, I was amazed, because I was a bit naive about comedy in those days, um, that... Uh, he was actually, it's, it, he, all his ad-libs um, were written down, so, ooh, madam, titty ye not, you know, it, were actually written in the script around whatever the patter he was doing, so... Uh, it, so they had practised and practised and perfected yes, and yeah. found... Because, uh, I mean, comedy mm. is about timing, mm, mm. Um, it's about hitting the current feeling, it's right. knowing what people want to laugh at, isn't no, it? That's right, yeah, yes. It's a, it's a difficult thing. You're also making me think of an actor, I'm sorry, a comedian who lost all his books. And oh, Ma Bob Monkhouse. Bob yeah. Monkhouse. Yes, yeah. And he, yeah, there was a huge reward went out because yes, that's right. of all his yeah, notebooks, all gags. because they had all his gags in there. No, but right, to right. actually see him live, I, I, I can remember once seeing him live, mm. um, and he really was rapid fire oh, yes. and highly intelligent. Yeah. And, but it was practice, practice, practice. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah, yes. Very difficult job making people laugh, you know, as a stand-up, isn't it? Because if your material doesn't... Uh, match what the audience expect, you know, then you die an awful death, don't you? And you can it realize must, why it must they... be so embarrassing, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a great fondness because I was brought up in that area of, you know, the Les Dawsons and Ken Dodd and, and all those kind of people. And I've met Ken Dodd um, uh, and, uh, you know, just fun. They're fun to be with. <laughs> Martin, I could talk to you forever and a day <laughs> because because you realise that new script writers that we mm. in Nelson Nutmeg Pictures we're we're making live action for children. Right. Children have a wonderful sense of humour. They do. They do. Oh, children don't miss a thing. No. And I love. Love, yeah. I love watching a child enjoying themselves, mm. watching comedy. Yeah. But it has to be clean, it has to be politically correct, it has to be ethical, yes. it has to be all those sort so of things. Many. Which means that you have to hone your skills somewhere else. Mm. You, you have to write big and come down to small, mm. don't you really? Yeah, and that's, that's right. what comedy is all about. Yes. It's a big idea coming down into to, a very few yeah. amount of words and, and fast delivery. And it has to be accessible too, you know, and so... I think there'll always be comedy of some kind or other, but I'm just sad that uh, situation comedy has sort of died a death. Again, that is reality television has killed off that. I mean, when you can do a cooking programme, uh, or you can do four cooking programmes for one sitcom, I mean, when I was... That's in, cost, in, a pure in, cost, in, isn't it? Uh, it was in, 19, in the 1990s, a, a half-hour sitcom cost 250000 which is a lot of Really? Mm. So how much are they costing now? Well, exactly. Yeah, well, that's why they didn't do them, you see, because they're too expensive, you know. And obviously you have to retain a very big team and a very yeah, big crew. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, it, and yes, you, you and it's all about retain, yeah, that's right. retention yeah, fees yeah. and whatever. But sadly, television, I think, is kind of uh, it's desperate. It doesn't really know where to go for other kind of strands of entertainment, does it? Because of largely cost. But, um... Well, they say that we're becoming more sophisticated. Mm -hmm. I actually don't agree with no, that. I, th no. I don't think we are any very, very much different. Mm -hmm. We just 
we just want the new and the fresh. Uh, and, um, um, but where it's going to come from okay. is where somebody okay. is going to make their fortune. I mean, to be honest, there are too many channels, aren't there? Uh, all fighting for, you know... Yeah, content. Content. And so they just copy each other, don't they? Yeah. And this awful... And they also hit at the same... Yeah. Say on the major broadcasters, you can guarantee that if one comes out at mm. 8 o'clock on a Sunday, mm. they're going to have a similar thing at 8 S o'clock on a Sunday. Sunday yeah. And that's... Mm, yeah, I know. Technology has not necessarily yeah. produced quality. Yeah. And when you look at uh, this, uh, this year's Christmas uh, viewing figures, 6 million, you know, where... That's phenomenally small. Horses, in my day, 20 million. You know, I mean, the huge decline of viewing figures because of the amount of channels and, you know, it's, mm. it's a problem. Are we saying that we've lived through the glory days? I think so, yes. All right, at this point, should we go and have a drink? And <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> well, UK scriptwriters, I hope you don't mind us having a little chat and going down memory lane, but it has been an absolute delight to speak to you, Martin. Let's go and have a drink in the yeah. bar, shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye, everybody. <laughs> and thank you for listening to us.